New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Mostly we are caught in a storm of activity, for we live in the world and are always drawn above and below and in between. Yet when we can stop talking, when we can stop mapping the chatter in our minds, when we can descend into that wordless current of being, we start to see oneness. When we can spend enough time below the noise of the world, then we might be blessed to experience oneness. I find that deep listening is a relaxation by which I enter silence until what I hear enters me. These are the words of our guest today, Mark Nepo, and exploring deep listening will serve as a focus for this edition of New Dimensions. Mark Nepo is a poet and philosopher who, for over three decades, has been teaching in the fields of poetry and spirituality. As a cancer survivor, Mark remains committed to the usefulness of daily inner life. He devotes his writing and teaching to the journey of the inner transformation in the life of relationship. He is the author of many books and audio learning courses, including Staying Awake and Holding Nothing Back. His many books include As Far as the Heart Can See, Finding Inner Courage, Surviving Has Made Me Crazy, The Book of Awakening, Reduced to Joy, and 7,000 Ways to Listen, Staying Close to What is Sacred. Join us for the next hour as we explore the endless ways we are asked to listen with our guest, Mark Nepo. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Mark, welcome. Oh, it's great to be with you. Great it's, to be with you. It's great to be with you, too. Um, I've just been kind of immersed in your poetry and your books. And so I, I'd love to start with, you mentioned in, at some point that listening is a pilgrimage. Yes. That's an interesting thought. Listening, I mean, we think of listening as kind of a passive thing. But a pilgrimage, that's a very active thing. You know, I think that my experience in, uh, <clears throat> in my time here is that, that listening is, a, is the way in which our heart opens, and that's just the beginning. So obviously we're not talking about just listening with our ears. So when we open our heart, when I've opened my heart, when 
suffering and great love has opened my heart. That's the doorway. And as I bring my full being to whatever's before me, whether it's difficult or beautiful, now I am beginning to be engaged in the transformative journey, not knowing what I will become, what will become of the things that I touch and hold and the people who hold and listen to me. But then we are constantly unfolding and emerging. So listening isn't, you know, we, we tend to think in our society, in our culture, we're so product imprinted in our consciousness. We think in small units, you know, giving, giving is thought, I give, you give, and I, you know, I, you receive and we're thankful and it's like a one, two, but no, giving is, is more, and the indigenous traditions speak of this. It's a flow. No one owns the gift. So it's just like, I like the analogy, and this is the same with listening, that, um, you know, no one organ owns the blood. If it did, the body would die. The blood has to circulate through all the organs for life to stay alive. So no one is more important than the other. There's no hierarchy, so to speak. And the same thing with listening. Listening is a process by which what matters moves between us, moves between us. And so there's no real end to listening. Now, of course, being human, I can't stay awake forever. I get tired. I fall asleep. I can't focus forever. I get, you know, drift and, and move off. But that's not the point. The point is that, that, that river, the river of what matters is always there for us to be committed to a life of rejoining it when our humanness pulls us out of it. You mentioned giving and receiving, and that that it is a flow. It's not. Uh, it's not okay. I give, and then you receive, and then we take turns, and then you give, and I receive. So you talk about flow, and you gave a beautiful example of this when you uh, wrote about visiting your grandmother. I know. Um, were you in high school at the time? No, I, I was in college. Uh-huh. I know what you mean. And that's in the chapter in 7,000 Ways to Listen about receiving, the gift of receiving. And yes, I, so my grandmother, it was my mother's mother, and she was in her late 70s and living in Miami and um, alone. She was a widow at that time. And she had invited me to to come down and see her. And I was excited too. And she invited my college buddies. There were three other guys. And, and so I was very excited to make the trip. We'd never been anywhere. We had, we were in upstate New York. We had no idea how long it would take to drive to Florida. And, but I had this uh, very interesting kind of um, clash of values with my parents around this. They, having grown up in the Depression and, you know, very self-reliant and not wanting to impose on others, they chided me that, no, I shouldn't freeload. If I couldn't afford to go and stay there, I shouldn't make the trip. And I, I listened to what they said, and um, but I already, even at that age, I, I, I was hearing different values. Um, and for me, I felt like this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be with my grandmother. Um, didn't know how long she would live. And that she, I sensed that she wanted my company. And even at that age, I thought, you know what, what else do I have to give but my love, my presence? So I disagreed with them, and we, and we went. Off we went. And uh, 
And we got to um, Jacksonville, Florida, the north of Florida, and we had no idea where we were. And called her and said, oh, we're right around the corner. (laughs) (laughs) But she was down in Miami, huh? Yeah, eight hours later, um, we pulled into this little residential hotel where she was staying. And the light was on at three in the morning. And the doorman greeted me by name. And she had rented a small little apartment for the four of us for the week down the hall from her. And we walked in and there on the table were cookies and milk. Oh, I love it. Cookies and milk. Oh, what a welcoming. Yeah. And, you know, and what happened in that week was, you know, we, of course, were college guys and we went off and had our fun, but we also spent time with her. We were very aware of her hospitality and her openness and and had a sense that she was an elder. And toward the end of that week, she and I went for a walk along the ocean. And she just opened her heart to me. She told me her stories and her disappointments and her loves and the things that, the dreams that came true and the dreams that didn't. And I just remember, I can see it now, you know, the, the ocean on the left and her on the right and just listening, just listening. And not only did I get so much, but I understood deeply that that was the first time that I could give by receiving. I gave her a gift by going all that way. That was the that was why I made the trip for that walk with her. And it's still informing your life even today. Absolutely. Well, this leads this leads to another form of listening. And, you know, I believe that, you know, the power of myth, we all know the power of stories and myth. I believe that each of us has a personal mythology. So there are a constellation of, of key passages, which we don't know when they're happening, but I think when we look back, that keep informing our life and who we are. And, you know, the purpose of myth is to help keep in view what's hard to keep in view. Hmm. It has been since the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that when we can identify what those are for us, we can return to them. And they're great resources. So this is a resource for me, you know. Uh, my Both my grandmothers are great examples of that for me. And, you know, there are moments, there's a moment, actually a different one than it's in the book. But uh, my other grandmother, when I was, oh, eight or nine, I was in Brooklyn visiting her and I was in the basement rummaging through all these old treasures from a world I had no, no idea what they were. And I came across what I learned later was my grandfather's Talmud. Oh. Which he brought all the way from Russia. Oh, my goodness. And my grandmother, I remember her coming down the stairs. And this is a very sacred text, a Jewish text. Yes, yes. And my grandmother came down the stairs. I can remember her, you know, step at a time, so moved that I would have had stumbled on this. And and we had this amazing conversation. She looked at me and she said with her thick Jewish accent, you know, you are why I came to this country. Mm-hmm. You are why I live. And she she took my little hands and she said, these are the oldest things you own. Mm-hmm. And then she waddled back up the stairs into her kitchen, and there I was, you know, this little boy with this very strange 
book in a language I didn't understand and with her kind of blessing, which I didn't really understand even at the time. But she was the first one to believe in me and to give me the message that, you know, whatever you do, you're, you're, you're enough as you are. Mm-hmm. You're enough as you are. And so, you know, that's a per- as I'm 62, and that's a story I've gone back to when I haven't been so sure, when I've been confused or insecure, to go back to keep in view the truth that we are enough as we are. So what, when you talk about your personal mythology and in, mm. for your own, Mark, is, is, does it have something to do with that? You told that story on the heels of, of saying that you feel like we all have a personal mythology. Yeah. So I would, that this, is this my own mythology? That's part, definitely a part of my own mythology. Absolutely. I'm here with Mark Nepo. He's a poet, an author, a teacher, a seeker for deep listening, and he's sharing that with all of us. And he's the author of many books, including Reduced to Joy, which is a beautiful book of poetry and and uh, just excellent, excellent. You have many books of poetry. You have them all stacked. I see many of them stacked on the table in front of us. And also the book, 7,000 Ways to Listen, Staying Close to What is Sacred. And if you'd like to know more about the work of Mark, you can go to his website, marknepo.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. And Nepo is spelled N-E-P-O, just like it sounds, Mark Nepo. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Mark Nepo. He's the author of many books, a book of poetry, Reduced to Joy, and also a a book, 7,000 Ways to Listen, Staying Close to What is Sacred. And Mark, in the previous segment, we were talking about giving and receiving and listening, listening to one another. And that was one of the gifts that you gave your grandmother uh, down in Florida was uh, to to really hear her stories, and it became a not only a gift of receiving her stories. You also gave her the gift of that deep listening, and I I connect that with another story that you tell 
because it was just kind of the the opposite of that one, one where you, someone really listened to you and gave you the gift of that deep listening. And that was also when you were in college, but you were visiting your aunt and uncle, I think, oh, near Boston. Yes. And you were just discovering all this material yeah. and discovering your life's path. And you were so excited and you were rambling and just yak, 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 just spilling it all out. Talk about the gift they gave you. Sure. You know, this was when I was, you know, 18 or 19. I was a freshman in college. And as I started to become more aware of my own, uh, my own mystical nature, my own connection to the largesse of the universe, it was overwhelming. It was flooding. And I didn't have a lot of people to talk to about it. And so I was trying to find my footing. And I, I went on a bus trip. I remember watching the trees on the bus, them speaking to me, and went to Boston uh, from upstate New York to be with my aunt and uncle, who are not mystical, who are not, you know, my aunt was, uh, she's retired now, but a speech pathologist. My uncle is an engineer. So, you know, very different sides of the brain. But the thing that was such a gift was they received me and they listened to whatever I wanted to say or explore. I have no idea to this day whether I made any sense at all. But they listened and they gave me a chance to hear myself. They gave me a chance, you know, when birds, let's pause for a second and I'll come back to this, but, you know, we all know that birds sing at the first sign of light. But what they do collectively is kind of, they reestablish the web of relationship every morning. They reestablish each bird that sings, the other birds hear and they answer. And now they all know where the bird territories are today. So by voicing, singing their song, and hearing each other, they remap the geography of their community every morning. If only we could do that. Mm. If only we could do that. So to go back to my little story as a young man, so they were giving me a chance to kind of twit and sing and garble and <laughs> gurgle my little ramblings, even though they didn't sing the same song, which was quite a gift of love. And I was able, because it bounced off other people who loved me, I was able to say, oh, oh, I, I kind of see where I am. I could hear myself. I could find my own footing. I think this is one of the gifts of, of what friendship and love is all about. Because, you know, the word friendship originally it means place of high safety. It comes from the German root. It means place of high safety. And so when we truly listen and bear witness to each other, we give each other that place of high safety where, because we can't do it for each other, but by, by having that power, which is a real quiet power, of listening with love, we allow those we love to find their footing, to find their footing and where they are in relationship to this mystery we call life. 
So that, you know, this reminds me, I end the Book of Awakening with this custom, which I originally learned from uh, Lawrence Vanderpost in his book on Bushmen, and that this great custom that's still happening today in the African uh, Bushmen, and when one person leaves to go hunting, when they return to the tribe, the first one who sees them come out of the bush says, points and says, I see you. And the person seen takes their hand above their head and pulls down and says, I am here. I see you. I am here. What wisdom? What wisdom? You know, this is at the heart of all therapy. This is at the heart of all therapy. And this is what ultimately we can do for each other is to say, I see you. And then I go, oh, that's right, I'm here. And sometimes I have to say, wait a minute, I'm here so that others can go, oh, I see you. So it's a way of locating ourselves, and, and we don't, in that, in that witnessing each other, we don't have to fix each other or figure it out no. for each other. No, I think, you know, one of the things that's misguided in our culture is, is, is the effort the erroneous effort to fix each other, to shape each other, to improve each other. No, I think the only thing, I, as the older I get, I think the only thing we can control is our absence and our presence. Do you think that in that need to to fix each other, control or something, it's, it's that we're afraid for the other person and ultimately afraid for ourselves when we, when we make a judgment, oh, they're in trouble, quote, unquote, or whatever it is we're laying on them and that we, we're not trusting something Absolutely. Else. I think I was just going to go there with trust because I think that, that betray- when we feel, even out of love, that we want to fix someone, it's a signal to me when I'm in that position that I have lost my trust in the fabric of life. And I feel now that I have to extend because I don't trust that the person I love has the resources. They don't have access to their own authority of being. So if I'm going to be of any help, I need to restore my own trust in the nature of things, so I can uh, make them accessible to those I love. So we're always asked to listen in many directions and many levels. And I would say that listening is a constant relationship. We need to stay, I think the challenge of our time is to stay in relationship, not just to each other, to ourselves, to the mystery. This brings up a poem that's in in the new book of poems uh, called Restoring Confidence, a small poem. Let me share that with you. Restoring confidence. And, you know, I discovered that, you know, the word confidence means to abide in trust. So when we restore confidence, we are trying to restore our trust in life. So right away, what does that tell us? That being human, life is always dependable. We're the ones who lose sight of it. Understandably, we suffer, we get tired, we drift, we get confused, 
we lose lose our way and then we refine our way. So it means that we are going to have to restore our trust in order to continue because we will lose it. Mm-hmm. And that says that this so is... So it's a constant stepping back into it, into the, on the path of trust. So this is that each person has to develop their own practice in being human, which involves, I say, a practice of return because we will fall off. So we, so this is restoring confidence. Help me resist the urge to dispute whether things are true or false, which is like arguing whether it is day or night. It is always one or the other somewhere in the world. Together, we can penetrate a higher truth, which, like the sun, is always being conveyed. Which, like the sun, is always being conveyed. So th- this tells me, and you know, I, I listening, we can say with the poems, the poems are teachers. So I, if I only wrote what I knew about, I'd write very little. <laughs> but I follow my heart, and then what comes through becomes my curriculum. And I need to be in relation with it to understand it. So as I've been in relationship with that poem... It's been very helpful that the nature of things like the sun, the sun never stops shining, even when people are blind. The sun never stops emanating in all directions. It has no preferences. In, in, in talking about that, and you talk, it reminds me of the paradox, and you, you talk about paradox, and I, I want to say specifically you know, as a cancer survivor, in the way that I think you've used those words, um, that it taught you that having the cancer really taught you something about living in paradox, mm-hmm. not an either-or. Can you say something about that? Yeah. So let's talk for a second about paradox. Paradox, for me, the simplest way to speak about it, it's any moment when more than one thing is true at the same time. And so immediately, though we try, the mind can't solve paradox. The heart can only hold it. Martin Buber, the great Jewish philosopher, had a wonderful, a wonderful expression. He said, the, the world is incomprehensible, but it is embraceable. The world is incomprehensible, but it is embraceable. And so we are asked to open our heart to everything that comes our way so that the open heart can hold the many sides, the many truths at once that come. And then a logic of the heart tells us how to hold it and reveals deeper lessons. So we are constantly, I think I find more and more that the things that hold the deepest truths are these moments. And I can share one, you know, Uh, Very recently, my father passed away uh, at 93 in September. And my mother, who's still living and now kind of suffering from dementia, um, they've been together 67 years. Now, I've had a a rough go, my mother and I, and we were estranged for 17 years. And I saw her for the first time in 17 years around my father's last eight months. So there's a paradox. Mm. There's a paradox. Seeing her 
all of our life, whatever we did or didn't do, whatever journey we arrived at together, whatever we shared, whatever we didn't, that's all true. And forget my story. Forget my story. There she is about to lose her life partner after 67 years of marriage. How do I be present to that? And it doesn't mean what happened wasn't true. It's mm-hmm. all true. I'm here with Mark Nepo. He's a poet, a spiritual teacher, and the author of 7,000 Ways to Listen, Staying Close to What is Sacred. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Mark Nepo. He's a poet and spiritual teacher and author, writer, uh, and his book, 7,000 Ways to Listen, Staying Close to What is Sacred, that's his most recent book, and also a recent book of poetry. He has many books of poetry, but the recent one is Reduced to Joy. And uh, Mark, I, you devote some story to a very famous person who had made a commitment despite the huge hardship uh, was Beethoven. And he made a commitment to not leave this life. And um, so... Can you can you yes. tell us something about yeah. that and why that's important? Well, and it was important to me um, to to write about that in this book on listening because Beethoven, as we know, went deaf, and I. It's interesting that I was drawn to write this book on listening as my hearing was breaking down and I didn't know it yet. So I was being at a deep level asked to learn other ways to hear. So I was always been touched and um, by this. Well, Beethoven, imagine, here is a, a person who had the gift of hearing and bringing into the world music that had never been heard before. And as he learned more and more of his own gift, he literally went deaf. And so he would never hear that music in the world. And this was so obviously depressing, uh, frustrating, uh, challenging. So I like to think of Beethoven as a as an ordinary man with extraordinary gifts, and that's why he is such a hero to me. I mean, his music is legendary, but what 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 I write about and what captures my heart's attention is the enormous courage of this ordinary man carrying this lightning in a bottle. And so we know that in, in 1802, he was really, he was hitting bottom. He didn't know if he could do this. He didn't, he was actually contemplating suicide. And he wrote 
uh, a letter to his brothers that was going to be a suicide note. And this also tells us about the incredible life of expression, why it's important to express ourselves. Because it's not just saying what we're feeling inside. Something happens for the expression and we hear ourselves. So as he expressed his pain, his frustration, his inability to to meet this challenge, something happens. And by the end of this letter, he's no longer talking about suicide. He's saying, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to make the most music I can with what I have for as long as I can. And he puts the letter in a drawer and he continues now to go back into life and become Beethoven. Mm -hmm. And that letter was found after he died in his desk drawer. So he wrote the famous Ninth Symphony completely deaf. In fact, it was performed in Vienna toward the end of his life. And he was asked out of respect to conduct it. But because he was deaf, there was a, another conductor on the side who was actually leading the orchestra because Beethoven couldn't hear. So he was, in his energy, he was actually ahead of the score. And when they finished, the entire house were on their feet in ovation, and he was still conducting. And the first violinist gently went over and tapped the master on his shoulder, and he turned around to see all these people applauding and standing, and he began to weep. What a moment. Whoa. What a Brings moment. tears to my eyes. Mm. Just, what, a, what a powerful powerful moment uh, going going back to what we were talking about about how and I know that you have written about this about how you would like to be of use mm. be of use to be of use and I think about this story and I, I don't know if you can remember all the aspects of it but the story that was told to you about some people who were walking across a frozen lake, and they found a moose who was caught, who had fallen oh, into the lake. Oh, yes, yes. And I, it, that was such a moving story for, to me. It really touched my heart. Can you... Yes, can you, you know, and this is also that teachers are everywhere. They're everywhere in the simplest things, and we often, we often walk by them. Well, this was told to me by someone who lived in Alaska, an educator. So the, this couple... They were skiing across a frozen lake. And along the lake, at one point, they saw a moose who had broken through the ice, and it was shallow enough that the moose didn't go completely under, but it was, it was caught there because the ice was jagged, and it couldn't really get itself back up out of it um, without cutting itself. So they stayed, they put their tent, they had, you know, things with them to camp, and they put their tent over the moose, who wasn't happy about this, and they shined their lights, their flashlights, on the edges of the ice so that it wouldn't hurt the moose until help could come the next morning. And then... 
the moose in the morning and when the weather started, when the temperature started to rise a little, was able under its own power to free itself. Now, the wonderful, wonderful lesson of this is that we all take turns. We're going to fall in the ice and we're going to be trapped for a while. That could look like many things. It could look like losing your job. It could look like getting sick. It could look like losing your sense of purpose. Who knows? You know. But we will be, and, and this goes back to fixing. We can't fix each other. The best thing we can do is to commit and keep each other company through the dark, cold night and shine our little lights so that the edges that can cut us will soften so that when we can and have the strength, we can get out of that hole ourselves. What a power. From a moose, a moose in Alaska that fell in the ice. Right. Absolutely, absolutely. Mark, one of the titles of your chapter in 7,000 Ways to Listen is called Outweighting the Clouds. Mm. I, I love that, Outweighting the Clouds. <laughs> And, and in that, you also had a, a, a poem that, that went called Coming Out that went with that. And I, I would oh, love for you to... Oh, yeah. It's to, actually... It, I, I took it from there, and it's actually in the new book, too. Oh, good. Yeah, oh, good. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. And, and, you know, when we talk about outweighting the clouds, you know, earlier we talked about that the sun never stops shining. And an interior version of the sun is the heart. The heart never stops shining. The heart as an inner sun never stops emanating in all directions without preference. Care emanates the way the sun emanates light. Now what happens, because we're human, in the weather of circumstance, we encounter clouds. But the sun hasn't stopped shining. And we, one of the functions of faith is to outweigh the clouds, both the outer clouds of circumstance and both the inner psychic clouds, because the heart never stops shining. The heart never stops shining. But we feel it does. So this is called coming out. While there is much to do, we are not here to do. Under the want to problem solve is the need to being solve. Often with full being, the problem goes away. The seed being solves its darkness by blossoming. The heart being solves its loneliness by loving whatever it meets. The tea being solves the water by becoming tea. I love that. I love that. The tea. Being so, solves the water by becoming tea. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you. And so what that teaches us is what that teaches me. I didn't know that when I wrote it, but then when I wrote it, I needed to pay attention to it. It means that how does the tea being solved the water? It gives itself to the water. And then the water and the tea become one. Isn't, isn't this what happens when we love? Isn't this when, you know, we, our boundaries go down. We, we say, okay, 
I'm, I'm not, and yours, mine, I'm okay, your opinion, my opinion, stubborn, it all disappears. And we become that tea of heart together. Mark, when you, when you say, you, you wrote it and you said, I didn't know. So say something about your writing. I mean, you allude to the fact that when you write something, it's not because you know it's true. Yeah. It's just kind of writing you, or how does that work? Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's again, this, is a, this is really speaks about listening, again, in another dimension. And that is that, we, you know, when we are creative, whatever form, we are retrieving a larger part of life through us. So, you know, I listen and I'm in conversation with a feeling, a thought, a question, a confusion, an image. I follow my heart's Geiger counter. When something feels alive, I need to pay attention. And then the way that I pay attention is I begin to be in conversation with it, which means I start to express or write about it or around it or through it. And then, so it's very much like the analogy in sports of like uh, in basketball, a fast break or in football, open field running. It's like, you don't know what's going to happen, but you're there. And then, so it's like pulling, pulling a thread and seeing where it leads. And then all of a sudden I go, oh, Oh, this is what this is what this is about. So I, I discover images. I don't think them up. And it, that it just reminds me too when you say uh, like a break in basketball. You've gone through a lot of different sports. You started <laughs> off with running and uh. basketball and racquetball and. And now you're more into swimming, and these are like the uh, eras of our life, or the process, or the unfolding of our life, and it's not, it's just kind of a continuous thing. We'll talk about that in just one moment. I'm here with Mark Nepau. He's the author of the book of poetry, Reduced to Joy, and the book, 7,000 Ways to Listen, Staying Close to What is Sacred. If you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, marknepo.com. Nepo is N-E-P-O, marknepo.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. Thank you. 
I'm here with Mark Nepo, and he's the author of Reduced to Joy, a book of poetry, as many books of poetry, and also a book called 7,000 Ways to Listen, Staying Close to What is Sacred. And Mark, we're talking about teachers, you know, mm. poetry is a teacher, the moose in the, in the, caught in the uh, ice is a teacher, our grandparents is teachers, you know, uh, the wind is teacher, you mentioned that in the book, and clouds is teacher. Um, the ocean as teacher, mm. ocean as teacher, you, you mentioned how the ocean receives everything and and rejects nothing the water and 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 for a moment on just before that we'll just say something about about teachers i love in the hindu tradition the term upa guru which means the teacher that is next to you in this moment there is always a teacher always a teacher and the teacher speaks quietly so it demands our listening and our attention to begin that conversation. But there's a teacher that's next to us in every single moment. And I love that, the Upa Guru. So, you know, water, I'm a Pisces, though I, I don't think about that a lot, but I am. And, and water is throughout all my writing. Um, but the ocean, and my father introduced me to the water. He loved sailboats and spent a lot of my youth on a sailboat he built. But the ocean, to me, is a metaphor for the mind of God. The ocean, think, think of the vastness of that element, the incredible power, and yet at the same time, it is so sensitive and gentle that if you stick your finger in it, it will register that ripple across the entire mass of it. It's clear, it reflects everything that looks into it, it accepts everything that enters it without losing any of itself. It is formless, and yet it, it doesn't lose who, it, who or what it is. So I think this is a great teacher for us that, you know, when we can be who we are, we don't need to um, insist on our identity. We are who we are. No, we don't have to assert ourselves. Or no, no. So I think that you know there are two two beautiful things. There's a great little story about a guy who walks by the ocean, and as he's wading in the surf, he sees two little fish. So he leans over. He says, "Hey, what's it like to live in the ocean?" And the fish, you know, they're kind of startled that this guy's talking to them. They don't say a word. The guy walks on, and once he's out of sight, one fish looks at the other and goes, what's an ocean? <laughs> because the deeper we go, the more we inhabit this mystery, the harder it is to name it because we're in it. We're in it. We become part of the mystery. And so this leads to a paradox that is really beautiful. I think it's a safe guard of the mystery, if you will. And that is that, you know, we want and we seek love. And if we're blessed after our life, we become love. We seek truth. And then maybe we become truth, you know. So after a lifetime of, 
of listening and working and being in relationship and trying to uncover meaning. Just, just when I have something worth saying, my tongue falls off. Now, you know, in the moment that seems sad or tragic, but in the larger context of life, it's perfect. And in a way, it's like, it's a safeguard against the mystery because it's not my job to give any secrets to prevent someone from being on that journey next themselves because the real gift is being on the journey. Well, that just reminds me that uh, you say, like, we might find truth, but it's not that ultimate uh, arrival. I no, mean, uh, no, there is no arrival. There is no arrival. I feel like, you know, we are in each moment, we become, I, I think, you know, the soul wants us to be alive. It doesn't care about careers or ambitions or achievement. It wants us to stay as alive as possible by any means. And that is, so So eternity, you know, eternity isn't to me sequential from here forward. Eternity is in a moment of full being. We touch on all time. So if I am in a moment of being with someone I love who's in pain and I'm completely there, we are in the moment of everyone who's ever been in pain on this earth. If I'm in a moment of love and joy and I truly am there, we are now in the stream of everyone who's ever known joy. That's touching into eternity. And I think of um, that for me, um, what calls up it can be pain, it, it can be that that touches in there, but beauty often takes us there when we're mm. in the presence of something that we would feel is beauty. Absolutely. You know, I think that, that be, you know, we, we, one of the things that happens in life is in order to understand things, we look at them individually. We look at beauty, we look at suffering, we look at love, we look at truth. But when we live life, they're not separate. They come as a whole. They come of a unity. And one of the challenges, I have a chapter in 7,000 Ways called To Endure and Endear. Because the, the call I've learned is, how do we let beauty in while we're suffering? Because that's how life presents itself. You know, we look at water. Again, water, you know, it's made of hydrogen and oxygen. I can't say, oh, I'd only like the hydrogen, please. <laughs> right. Because it's right. no longer water. And it just reminds me, too, that at, in all of your chapters in 7,000 Ways to Listen... You you give us these incredible questions. This is <laughs> Thank why you. it's it's you can't just just read through this book, but but it's one that you might study for years and years, and and you even suggest taking it 
to to a dinner party and then having <laughs> and uh. putting out these questions in a dinner party or or doing journaling around them and they are just fantastic questions. Thank you. I mean, one can just spend a lot of time, and I'm just thinking in in this case, just that idea, the the paradox of the the suffering and and beauty living together. They're not separate. It's a wholeness. That and this you, is what you know. We all know the famous John Keats, his ode on a Grecian urn, and those la- The only reason we know that poem is because of those last lines when he discovers discovers that he says, you know, this is all we need. This is all you'll know on earth: beauty and truth. And that's all you need to know. So that poem starts out, we have a young man, like, let's listen to the story behind the story quickly. We have a young man who's 24, who's dying of tuberculosis, who's just awakening to the whole mystery of life and knowing he's not going to be able to do anything with it. And he just wants out of here. He says, I want to just be on an urn. Get me out of this. And as he's bemoaning his fate, again, as he's expressing He's brought to a deeper revelation and all of a sudden he says, oh, beauty and truth. And they all come of a piece. They all come together. We we can't, you know, the, the truth of beauty is that it shows us, it shows us the, the magnificence of oneness and the beauty of truth, even though it becomes different. You know, we... There, it, it's not beauty as we we think of it, but there is a beauty in truth that is unshakable, even when it's difficult truth, that we need in order to move forward. Mm, mm. Now we, we need to contemplate that for a while. That's, that's really beautiful. Um, one of the things, and we're really butting up against the <laughs> end of this program, but I just want to mention, because um, it was such a beautiful image that you use in several places in the book, it's about untangling the net. Oh, <clears throat> yes, yes. Well, and this really comes from, uh, I have a good friend who is a leading uh, peace builder in the world, John Paul Lederach, an amazing man. And he did, did, does research around the world about how different cultures uh, approach conflict. And he was researching in a Mexican fishing village. And he asked people, what do you call conflict when you're in a conflict? What do you say? How do you refer to it? Well, it's a fishing village. They make their living. They feed each other through the nets by which they fish. So, enredo in Spanish means the net is tangled. When they're in a conflict with another person, they say the net is tangled. Inherent in how they see it, if we listen, is the solution. Because when they have a conflict, they don't blame each other. They untangle the net. Oh, that they, they, they don't go into who's right, who's wrong, where did it start. They untangle the net. And you have a beautiful image in the book of that untangling. Mark, I want to thank you so much for being with us on New Dimensions today. Oh, it's a joy, really. It was my joy. I've been here with Mark Nepo. He's a poet, a spiritual teacher, and a, a writer of extraordinary work, uh, And his most recent book is 7,000 Ways to Listen, Staying Close to What is Sacred. And his most recent book on poetry is Reduced to Joy. 
And if you'd like to know more about his work, go to his website, marknepo.com. Nepo is spelled N-E-P-O, marknepo.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3490. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions. Thank you.